Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for your support and listening to Been On Our Mind. It truly means a lot to have such great feedback after the first episode. As mentioned in the description, the idea of this podcast is to spend some time talking about things that have been on our minds. This week, in light of recent tragic events on the Muslim family from London, Ontario, and the uncovering of Indigenous graves located at residential schools across Turtle Island, the topic today is a little bit more difficult. I am not an expert, but I recognize that hatred, oppression, colonialism is an ongoing worldwide issue. Where I reside, it is the original home of the Anishinaabek people also known as the Robinson-Huron Treaty. There are parallels between the two worlds of the indigenous people of Turtle Island and the Palestinians in the Middle East. Today, we will be talking with Sarah Awad, who is a Palestinian who has lived in different places across the world, except for Palestine, as her grandparents were never granted the right to return. She is passionate about advocating for Palestinian rights and to end the occupation in her beloved homeland. She will be sharing the Palestinian truth by amplifying the voices of the oppressed and challenging the Western narrative. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? Hi, thank you for the intro. <laughs> I'm very good. Thank you very much, Kristen. As I ask all of our guests, what has been on your mind lately? Okay, so on a very light note, um, I have been thinking of booking a trip because I really need to get out of here. <laughs> COVID has been really difficult and it's been two years that I didn't travel. So I'm looking at different places to go to. That's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a more um, personal, um, cultural, uh, humanitarian level, I have been thinking about Palestine like a lot, a lot, a lot. And I have been talking about it 24-7, advocating for the rights of Palestinians through Instagram or in person. And, you know, trying to, even like myself, I'm Palestinian, as you said it, but I'm even learning so much about the Palestinian struggle because I have been, and my family have been uh, stripped away from our country and our culture. And with that comes the lack of knowledge about what's happening exactly, right? So we need to learn it in order to um, all have kind of like the same voice, unify the same message to end the occupation in Palestine. Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I'm excited for you to be able to travel, especially because of COVID and everything. So that'll be a nice relief. Um, you mentioned your culture, and I know that the Palestinian headscarf has quite a big significance. And I was wondering if you can explain to us about that. Okay, so it's called the kufiyeh or the kefiyeh. Uh, traditionally, people don't wear it as a headscarf, but I did in my um, photo and the bio because, you know, I thought I just like, um, I just like to wear it two in one, right? Um, and so it has a lot of uh, cultural significance and it has been very vilified in Western media. I don't know if you've seen posts about um, it being linked to terrorism. And uh, there was like a lot of buzz around that. Like you would just Google what do terrorists wear? And then that would be the first thing that would pop out. And it's, it's extremely uh, hurtful and heartbreaking 
Uh, you've seen what happened in Canada with Muslims because the hijab itself has been vilified and have, has been associated with terrorism, right? So it, it, it brings a lot of hate towards both our religion when it comes to hijab and to Palestinians when it comes to the kefiyah. The kefiyah has a very important significance for Palestinians. It used to be traditionally worn by Palestinian farmers when they used to work the land. And uh, the patterns on it, there's three different patterns. Um, one of the patterns, you can see the uh, olive um, uh, tree, um, like the leaves of the olive tree. And it shows how important the olive tree is for us. It's one of the main um, agricultural sources for Palestinians. And it's also the olive tree itself is a sign of strength and resilience. Um, and then there's another uh, motif on it, which is fishing net. And, and that links the Palestinian sailor. It shows you the link of the Palestinian sailor to the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and then you can see kind of solid lines on the kefiyah. And these solid lines represent the roads that merchants and other people used to go like in and out of uh, Palestine for commerce or for cultural exchange. So it is a very important <laughs> uh, piece of clothing. Um, and yeah, we hold it very close to our heart. Mm, thank you so much for sharing all of the intrinsic details that are involved with the... What was it called again? Sorry. Um, so we have different accents, right, in our dialect in Palestine. My family, we call it Kofiye. Kofiye. People more like more generally call it a kefiye. Kefiye? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I think that description will definitely enlighten people about the significance around it and the importance to your culture as well. And I want to add also that it's not only Palestinians who wear it. It's also a sign of solidarity with Palestinians. You can see people in protests wearing it all the time. And it's um, and and we don't consider it cultural uh, appropriation at all when people wear it as a sign of solidarity. However, when people use our um, cultural clothing to for other purposes okay. like fashion without recognizing its association with our culture and and without taking into account like the Palestinian struggle into consideration, then that would be cultural appropriation. Mm, thank you so much for sharing that as well. Um, I have a question. So many people may or may not be a bit aware about what's happening in Palestine right now. So do you mind telling us about what has been ongoing in your ancestral lands? Yes, for sure. So what's going on in Palestine has only gained um, attention or media attention in the last month or so. Before there were talks about it, but it was um, um, contaminated talk because it was all like narrated through a supremacist uh, point of view and the colonizer point of view. However, lately, uh, people on the ground have been showing us and talking about what's going on from the Palestinian point of view and from like the first person perspective without really being associated to any kind of like organization or journalism or anything. It's just like real people on the ground telling us what ha what, what's happening. However, what's happening right now has been ongoing for 73 years. It's not new. It's just gaining attention and exposure right now. So I'm, I'm not sure. Do you want me to tell you like the, the uh, beginning of, the Palestinian struggle or just what happened in the last month? Well, I think it'd be good for listeners to get, have a little bit of information as to like, yeah, where, what is the origin? What happened? Why is this going on? Because many people that live in the Western world or don't like pay attention to social media or something like that, they might not know, right? Unless like they're studying it in school then um, or friends with someone in the homeland. Yeah, and also if they're studying it in school, sometimes it's not narrated through the mm -hmm. proper lens, so it's not the truth. 
Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about that, that'd be great. Thank you. All right. So the beginning of the Palestinian struggle, uh, if we want to look at it from like a, a timeline, a historical perspective, it starts in the Nakba. The Nakba, it happened in 1948, and this is a time where Israel came, or the, the, the idea of Israel wanted to start in Palestine. It was um, basically Zionism, okay? Uh and the origination of Zionism, a lot of people said or think that the idea of Zionism was to create a homeland for Jewish people from Europe who were escaping the Holocaust. However, Zionism, its own idea, like the origination of the idea of Zionism didn't start then. It actually started way before the Holocaust. Yes, and it was initiated by a man called uh, Theodore Herzl, who actually died in 1904, mm. which is before the Holocaust itself. So, um, and this person wanted to uh, start a country for Jewish people, but he had a very like colonial point of view because at that time, that's, that's how the world operated. It was through colonialism in general. So it made so much sense for him to say, we want to start a land for the Jews by um, by uh, creating uh, that country. And actually he didn't even care for that country to be Palestine or anywhere in the Middle East. There were many different countries that were proposed. But he died and this idea didn't come to fruition, but it was kind of like floating somewhere in the air. And then, um, after the Holocaust happened, people uh, people who took that idea of colonialism uh, used it to, um, like, use the struggle of Jewish people to bring this idea into fruition, right? And and that's when Europe started like allowing Jewish people to uh, migrate into Palestine. Palestinians welcome Jewish people. That's before 1948. They welcomed them just like normal immigrants. They lived there normally with everyone. Everything was fine. But then another man who was the founder of the state of mm -hmm. Israel called um, Ben-Gurion, he uh, said, no, we're not just going to do it that way. We want it to be like an established country for us. And there was like a deal between the UK because the UK kind of had some kind of like authoritarian power. I'm also telling you like this, uh, my perspective and my ideas from a humanitarian point of view, it's very important for the listeners to know that I'm not like a political expert or a political analyzer, but I have a lot of information that I will share with you guys. So um, anyways, um, uh, the, the UK made that agreement with Ben-Gurion and uh, they signed this agreement that's called the Dalford Declaration. And that declaration was basically selling Palestine for free to become the state of Israel. <laughs> so that happened in 1948. When that happened, well, there was a lot of Palestinians living in Palestine which is what the uh, Zionists don't okay. want people to believe. They want people to think that the land was empty. There was no one living in it. And they wanted to erase these people in order to really fool and manipulate people into thinking that this land was completely empty and it's ours now. So in order mm -hmm. to do that, they had to displace people forcefully. And... Uh, at that time, this is when the Nakba happened. In 1948, they dispossessed about 750,000 Palestinians out of their homes, which was three quarters of the population of Palestine. Oh my goodness. So it's very similar, sorry to cut you off there, but it's very similar to what's been happening to Indigenous people here in Canada and what what people are finally learning about um, but yeah, continue. Yeah, exactly. Is it clear, like, I'm making sense in the storyline? Yeah. Yes, very much so. Okay. Very much so. Yeah. 
So um, these 750,000 people, some of them were displaced into other areas of Palestine. So like their homes were taken like specific lands that were like of high um, of high value to the Zionist ideology. And they were like displaced into other uh, areas of Palestine. But many of them were completely kicked out of the country. They became refugees in other countries and they are still. So this, so look like I have friends whose grandparents are refugees of, uh, of Palestine. And these friends, they are still under refugee status to this day. They don't have any kind of citizenship in the world. They live in exile and they have like um, travel documents, you know, they don't even have a passport. So they're refugees of Lebanon, they're refugees of Jordan, they're refugees of Syria, um, because they were not allowed to stay in their country. Wow. We're going to take a short little break right here, um, and we'll come back in a second. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Second. All right, so we're back. The topic is, of course, not the easiest for myself and probably yourself to discuss and also for listeners to listen to. But at the same time, I feel as though um, it's very important to talk about and make space for the difficulties that humanity is facing, specifically Palestinians and also Indigenous people across the world um, because colonialism has been an ongoing issue. Hatred and oppression have been ongoing issues and it's time for us to start shifting that narrative. Can you now speak to what has been going on within Palestine this past month and why has it all of a sudden it seems even though it hasn't been because it's been ongoing for 73 years, as you had mentioned, but why, why are things just really starting to come to light now? And what, what is actually happening on the ground right now that's gathering this media okay. attention? So what's been happening in the past couple of months, let's say, is that the whole story started with, Remember how I told you some people in Palestine were displaced from one area to another? Yeah. Okay, so these people, like a group of them, live in an area called Sheikh Jarrah. Let's remember that these people are, have already been displaced to this other area that's called Sheikh Jarrah. They were given homes by the UNRWA and, and by Jordan uh, to, like, you know, have a place to live. 
And, the, and so lately, because Israel's occupation of Palestine didn't end in 1948, over time, they like took on more and more and more and more land illegally. And so mm -hmm. they want to keep doing that, right? Uh, and so lately, there are specific uh, uh, neighborhoods that's called Sheikh Jarrah that they really want to take control over. It's in East Jerusalem. And they already have taken um, some homes and there's already settlers who live in, in this area illegally, but they also want to take on more and more homes. And so there's uh, four families who have been threatened to be uh, dispossessed. And these people, these four families have been uh, kind of fighting it very strong, strongly. And they've been very, very vocal about it. There's two specific people. And if your listeners really want to listen to anyone in this world about the Palestinian struggle, they should listen to Muhammad Al-Kurd and Mona Al-Kurd. I can give you their Instagram and you can put it in the uh, episode description. But Mona Al-Kurd, she shows you what happens outside of her house every single day, like 24-7, with... Um, with the, uh, the IOF being there all the time, settlers harassing them, uh, be, being mistreated like 24-7, even having a blockade on the street itself and not being able to have visitors and family come visit them. And even if they want to go outside and inside their own neighborhood, they have to show their ID. It's ridiculous. And then Muhammad Al-Kurd, he's often interviewed in... Um, by different news channels, and uh, he speaks uh, very well of the Palestinian struggle in, in a language that is, you know, understood by Westerners because a lot of the Palestinian activists sometimes like they speak in, in Arabic, uh, but he like speaks, he says everything in English and he really uh, explains to you the Palestinian struggle. So uh, these two people are two of the main activists uh, with what's going on right now. And them and their families have been fighting so strongly against um, having their homes taken uh, away from them. And there has been a lot of social media buzz about it. And there has been a lot of protests on the ground about it. So there has been a lot of exposure. And in response to all this exposure and the peaceful protests, Israel became very violent and aggressive with the peaceful protesters. With um, and even like at the end of Ramadan, uh, they went in and they attacked Al Masjid Al Aqsa, which is the second holiest site of Islam. They attacked the worshippers. They vandalized the whole mosque. They uh, threw stun grenades and uh, rubber bullets at them. It was horrible. And so in response to that, <clears throat> the faction in Gaza, Hamas, was telling Israel, look, if you don't stop, something really bad is going to happen. And they didn't stop. They kept giving them warnings and they didn't stop. So Hamas fired rockets at Israel. And so then Israel fired back. But Israel fired back big. And we have to really differentiate between, you know, how much Hamas is able to fire and how much Israel is able to fire. And you saw all the uh, differences. And I mean, it, it's not like we don't agree with killing any kinds of people, but the magnitude of uh, Israel's attack is was crazy and it was intense and it was unstoppable. They kept striking Gaza for 11 days straight. Mm -hmm. And many people were killed. About 250 people were killed, among whom, actually all of them were civilians, among whom were a lot of children. And they just kept, like, they just carpet bombed all of the city. They destroyed, um, they destroyed hospitals, schools, mm -hmm. civilian buildings, like, you just name it, and they destroyed it. And... So, but during this time, there was like a lot of media outreach, social media outreach about the issue. And we were all posting and reposting and reposting everything about it. So it created a lot of um, movement, uh, even at the political sphere. And you started seeing uh, people in Congress talking about it, even in Canada. Uh, like, for example, mm -hmm. uh, uh, what's the NDP's... Uh... Shagmeet Singh? 
Jackmeat, yeah, Jackmeat. He was he he was very supportive to the uh, to the Palestinian struggle, and he was telling uh, Canada that you should stop funding Israel. You should uh, take part in having this uh, firing of Gaza stop. Like you really needed to stop right now because it was just like so crazy. And for us watching it from distance, it was just like we are being bombed. Like like I personally couldn't sleep ever. Because it's so personal to us, you know, like we're not there. And I don't even have personal family in Gaza. But I just like, it's just so personal to me. Mm-hmm. And let alone the humanitarian aspect of it, just as a human, how can you even watch something like this happen and be okay with it? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, and then like, uh, there was a lot of movement about, you know, having the ceasefire stop and uh, <laughs> that. The very disgusting thing is that the UN asked for it to stop a few times and the the states rejected the request for ceasefire. Not once, not twice, three times. Like the United States. Yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I know this was a very loaded story. But these are the events that happened. And yeah. something like that's very interesting that I want to mention to you and to mm-hmm. your listeners is that I was receiving messages from my friend in Canada asking me, Sarah, what happened in Palestine? We heard that Hamas fired Israel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had, I remember seeing that news media like headline. So this, this is like the only time that the media... A headline wanted to talk about anything that was going on in Palestine. Yeah. They didn't talk about the attacks of Al-Aqsa. They didn't talk about the disposition of the people in Sheikh Jarrah. They didn't talk about the whole backstory. All they told you guys no. is that Hamas is firing, uh, is, is throwing rockets at Israel. And so that's why the Western narrative is extremely manipulated and people in Canada mm-hmm. and all of Western countries do not know the truth. Because they're never told the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's obviously the perpetrator in order to instigate for Hamas to fire the rockets back because they're not just getting like trauma breeds trauma, right? And there's obvious trauma happening on one side on in the world. Every and we're all traumatized people. Let's face it, especially after COVID. Um, my goodness, thank you so much for sharing such a heavy topic. And I know that you kind of spoke a little bit about it on an individual level but i brings me to my next question that i had for you so which is having not been able to visit palestine how does this affect you as an individual i actually did visit palestine a couple of times okay i just wasn't allowed to visit it before having become a canadian citizen (laughs) i know this is weird so um before, before holding a Canadian passport, I had I, I, I held a Jordanian passport. Um, I never had any document to prove that I'm Palestinian. Neither did my parents. Okay. Neither did my grandparents. But because my grandparents were uh, originally from mm-hmm. the West Bank area, which is not the area where people were displaced from in 1948. It's like we call this the 1967 area because later, like after 1948, in 1967, there was a, another a mass disposition of people in Palestine. And uh, and so my parents and my grandparents were from that 1967 area, which based on like my, my parents' explanation of it, they said that it was kind of like ruled under Jordan, just that West Bank area. So when um, all the when the occupation started and Israel came in, uh, Jordan was like, okay, so whoever is from the uh, from the West Bank area and was outside of Palestine, we're just gonna grant them a, a Jordanian passport. So we just became Jordanian citizens because of our association to Jordan, like through that geography, right? And my my parents were actually able to go to visit Palestine during their um, like their youth, but at some point, 
some things happened and like a lot of political things happened there was like uh, mm-hmm. an event that's called intifada where, where where there was like a resistance like a massive resistance and uprising of palestinians against the occupation and after that time they just stopped giving people a visitation uh, permit to palestine and because of that when i was born because the intifada happened in 1987 i was born in 1989 i just wasn't allowed to visit ever because of um, because of the revolution because israel thought that thought of the revolution as a threat to its existence and so palestinians who were outside of the country were never allowed to visit through a permit anymore and so like it was always my dream to visit palestine like i just i really like wanted to go there and like i just knew that there was no way for me to go there but my dad through you know like his um his life uh pr- like <laughs> i don't know planning and career planning and stuff he just ended up in canada and because we ended up in canada we lived there for a while and got the canadian citizenship and after that because you have a canadian citizenship you're allowed to pretty much go everywhere in the world <laughs> including palestine so yeah i basically had to acquire a different identity in order to go back to my homeland. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting how the turn of events brought you to Canada and then gave you the citizenship to then be able to actually visit your ancestral land. I, I just feel very, yeah, this is, this is a lot of information and I, I'm really thankful that you're here sharing this with us because there's a lot of pieces that I, I wasn't aware about before and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening will probably feel the same way. Yeah, and I'm sure that a lot of it would be so complicated for everyone. And so I know that like if we start like thinking about like all the minute small details of it, it it, it becomes kind of overwhelming and that's the issue is that when it becomes overwhelming people step back and say I cannot like I cannot do anything. I cannot talk about it. I cannot say anything. And I just want people to hear this and know that the struggle is not that complicated. It's very simple. It's just an occupier. It, it, like Zionism is just like a settler occupier ideology that came into a country and kicked out a huge number of its indigenous people and continued and continues to torture the rest. That's as, as simple as it gets, like in super layman terms. And if you want to know all the types of ter- mm-hmm. tortures, well, it's genocide, it's ethnic cleansing, it's mm-hmm. ecocide, it's, uh, uh, it's yeah. disposition, it's apartheid. These are the kinds of struggles that Palestinians are facing. So it's extremely simple. But yes, if you want to hear my, my life story, my mm-hmm. life story is complicated. If you want to hear every single Palestinian's life story, yes, it's extremely complicated because like even Israel fragmented us into different types of groups of people. There's like the refugees from us. There's the people who are living in an open air prison yeah. in Gaza. There's the people who are, uh, who are living under apartheid. There's uh, the people who are living in the West Bank with extremely limited movement and continued threat mm-hmm. of disposition and losing their homes and land. So they just fragmented us into different kinds of people to make the issue and the cause complicated yeah. for you guys to understand and not be able to speak up and speak out against what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And as exactly as you mentioned, when it becomes overwhelming, people they disassociate themselves from it because they they just don't know what to do and where to go. And yeah, which kind of brings me, I had another question before this one, but I'm going to skip to the next question. So this one is exactly that. What can people who live in the Western world do to support you and others who are being oppressed? Okay. Um, so for me, as Sarah, I, I, I'm, I feel like extremely uh, blessed and I don't mm-hmm. feel like I have a struggle. I'm a privileged person because I have um, like, I, I have, uh, I had different opportunities, mm-hmm. right? But for people in Palestine and people who are refugees who do not have any kind of like uh, uh, land that they can, 
that can say this is like a land or a people that can tell them you are one of us. Mm-hmm. You know, the refugees in countries where they are not accepted as citizens. Um, I would say that uh, you guys, the way that you can support is by listening to the Palestinian voices, by amplifying them, uh, by talking to people that you know about them, about the struggle. Uh, the social media, uh, I, I call it protest. The social media protest made a huge difference. Mm. So if you reshare, if you comment, if you live post, that's extremely helpful. And then also there's a peaceful uh, revolution movement that's called BDS, and it stands for Boycott, Divest, and uh, Sanction. And for us as individuals, we can boycott companies or uh, organizations that support the crime that's happening in Palestine. Crimes include illegal settlements, provision of military uh, funding or weapons to Israel. Um, It includes disposition. It includes all these things, right? Mm -hmm. So any company that supports these war crimes, you can uh, boycott it. And I'm just going to name a few of the things that I personally used to use in Canada. Um, Sabra hummus. I used to eat it all the time and I didn't know that it supported Palestinian uh, um, occupation. Um, there's also Puma. There's also uh, Soda Stream. Uh, there's a list of um, companies that are on the website of BTS. If you want, I can also give you the website. Mm-hmm. The, and this, and this and these uh, companies really like uh, confirm that they support the occupation and the war crimes in Palestine. Wow! You can also write uh, letters to mm-hmm. your uh, representatives. Mm-hmm. You can uh, sign petitions. Mm-hmm. There's many petitions that are going around. There's some that were um, that were written by journalists who felt like the Palestinian st- struggle is ongoing in part because of fake news, basically, and uh, inappropriate and actually just manipulated coverage of the event. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the petitions, but there's many petitions depending on what your uh, field of practice or expertise uh, is. So there's a lot. You guys can also go to protest. I know there was a protest in Sudbury. My friend sent me photos. So I was very happy to see that. Yeah, I had seen that as well. I I think there was over 150 people that showed up, which is just incredible. It's really nice to see the community coming together in that way. And I appreciate all of the different various ways that you mentioned that we can utilize our voice and our essential privilege as individuals within the Western world to shift the narrative and educate ourselves. And our our voices matter. And when we take that action towards calling out the wrongs and holding people accountable it makes a difference it really does and which kind of brings me to another question is what inspires you to speak up for those that are being oppressed i know that you your ancestral lands but at, at the same time like i know that as an individual it does get overwhelming even for yourself i'm i'm sure so like what is it that like what's that thread that continues to pull you forward Look, for me, like Palestine, it's not a cause. It's my cause. Like, it's part of my identity. It's something, I mean, some people might think that I'm extreme or whatever, but you know how you wake, if you had a baby, for example, Mm -hmm. you wake up in the morning and you check on your baby first thing. The first thing you wake up, the first thing I wake up, I check to see what happened yesterday because now Mm. I have access to accurate coverage. And once I know this kind yeah. of information, I cannot stop talking about it. If I didn't have access to accurate coverage, of course, that what can I do? I, like, there's nothing. I'm not going to start dissipating, yeah. dissipating yeah. false information that would harm my people. So, so it's a very for me. It's it's just part of who I am. For for Palestine, it's that. for other causes. Of course, I support many different causes. Like BLM, last year I was I, I was resharing stuff that were shared by uh, black people 
and I I also need to like all of us as individuals, we always need to make sure that what we're saying is is um, supportive of the people who are oppressed or are struggling. Because sometimes we do say things in good faith, but it's extremely not supportive. Like for example, with the Palestinian situation, people were calling it, oh, there's a conflict, there's a conflict, there's a conflict that's going on between Palestine and Israel. Mm-hmm. Look, it's not a conflict. Like. It's not a conflict when one part mm-hmm. does not have weapons mm-hmm. or like the amount of weapons that a small group of people have is mm-hmm. like so negligible. Yeah. It's genocide. It's not, a, it's not a conflict. So it's very important for us as individuals to know the appropriate terminology, uh, to uh, listen to the people, even me as a Palestinian, I, it's not like I listen to the people on the ground before I say a word, yeah. you know, unless I'm talking about my own personal experience or maybe experience of my friends who are refugees because I know them and they've told me about their struggle. But like if it's someone, if I'm going to talk about what's going on in Sheikh Jarrah without looking at Mona Al-Kurd's stories and her posts, then I'm not doing her a service. Right. So yeah. Um, so I that's what gives me the drive and um, and the motivation to do it. And it's very important as well for me, like as a person, to like t- do some self care stuff. This is very important. Like after the Gaza attack, mm-hmm. I I couldn't like I had to take a day of just not looking at everything because it was just so emotionally and physically draining. I honestly had like the biggest. You just had it. I couldn't sleep a whole night. My sister had to like give me like cold presses and stuff in order to feel a little bit better because all the trauma was just like so physically mm-hmm. internalized, right? Yeah. 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 Which it's so important to take care of yourself through this time. And yeah. Um, I know that community and cut like cultural customs and holidays and are very important and I'm wondering if you can speak about that and tell us a little bit more about Ramadan and Eid and how these have impacted your growth and your reflections and supported you through your journey as well. So this past Ramadan was so beautiful and amazing and it's just like fasting and praying and and got like small gatherings because of corona <laughs> um but um yeah it was so beautiful and in ramadan um the last 10 days are considered the like most holiest days right and during this night we like pray pray a lot and we make sure that like we're doing everything right, we're doing all our prayers and we're making du'a supplications to God because the um, the gate to heaven is open during this night. And unfortunately, this year, the attacks on Masjid al-Aqsa happened during the last nights of Ramadan. So it was extremely emo- emotional on a much higher level. And Israel knows that, like, they know that they are triggering us to the highest degree when they are attacking our mosque and the worshippers during this holy day. So they went in and they just attacked our mosque and it was extremely emotional for us. So we we were so helpless and all we could do again is pray, pray, pray that, you know, that um, Allah supports Palestinians through this, that he, um, he removes all evil away from them and and all these uh, prayers. And then Eid happened. And during Eid, mm. Eid is like Christmas for you guys. So during Eid, they were firing rockets at Gaza. And people did not celebrate Eid. In Gaza, people didn't celebrate Eid. And for us, it was so hard to enjoy Eid. Because how could you? Like, how could you enjoy such an important event and celebration when you know that people are not only not enjoying it, they are being killed. So I actually like, I actually felt kind of like guilty. And I was like, I really need a validation to say that 
I can celebrate it and at the same time care for what was going on in Palestine. Like I can do both at the same time. It was just like a divine message that I had received uh, in a post from a sheikh that I really love, uh, an imam in a mosque. Uh, I follow him on Instagram. And he just wrote this post. It was so beautiful. And he said that for all Palestinians or all Muslims around the world, what's going on is extremely difficult. And it's important for us to know that the celebration of Eid is Sunnah. It's the, what the Prophet Sunnah is, uh, is the practices of our Prophet. So we follow his practices, right? So the celebration of Eid is following the Prophet Sallallahu uh, Sunnah. And at the same time, the support of our Palestinian brothers and sisters is also Sunnah. And speaking out against oppression is Sunnah and is our Prophet's practice. So we need to be able to do the same while grieving. And imagine you had to do the, both while grieving. How difficult is it? And I don't even have family in Gaza. My family is safe. So imagine the people who have family in Gaza. So to be honest, I was able to enjoy the first day of Eid. I still had my mind with Palestine, with what was going on there. But I still also was physically with my family. I went out with them. I wore nice new clothes. I, I did the every Eid celebrations, you know, I enjoyed time with my little niece and everything. But I can't say that it, was, it felt the same as every other Eid. I cannot say that. And even my little sister, you know, I have a 17-year-old sister. She came up to me and she said, Sarah, do you think it's appropriate for me to post a Eid picture on Instagram? And then I was like, I don't know. And then I was like, you know what? Let me think about it and I will tell you. And then the next day when I woke up for Eid, I saw on Instagram a photo of Al-Aqsa Mosque with people in there decorating it with Eid decor, celebrating, enjoying the day, and enjoying through the grief. So I went to her and I showed her this photo. And I said, look, people are celebrating and enjoying through the grief, and I want you to do the same. Today is a happy day, and you need to enjoy it. I know it's very sad. Thank you. I'm not crying right now because I already cried a lot about this. I definitely am. I'll just be candid with the listeners. I am shedding tears, and that's why it's very hard for me to find my words right now. It's very significant, the importance of community within the cultural traditions and moving through and holding both those polarities, the joy and the grief through the and the, the difficulties. What does community mean to you through this and through life? <laughs> community, community is everything. Imagine if you didn't have community and you had to go through this alone. It would be impossible. It's even important yeah. to find community who is so as like as passionate as you are about activism for Palestine or for cause that you're supporting. Because you know, not everyone, even Palestinians, even Muslims, like not everyone has the same level of, of activism as everyone, you know? Everyone um, supports in their own way. Maybe some people, for them, uh, boycotting is, is a good enough way to support. And uh, granted, amazing. Maybe some people, for them, uh, going for uh, a protest, it's it's a great way to, to support. It's also amazing. However, when you are, when you feel like you are involved in all of these as much as you can, whenever you have an opportunity, you need to find also people who are also as involved because otherwise you feel like, am I crazy? Like, <laughs> am I the only one? And even like my sisters and my mom, they sometimes they go like, you need to slow down, you know, a little bit. And I was like, no, I don't need to. I slow down when I feel like I'm overwhelmed. 
as long as I don't feel like I'm overwhelmed, I find I find small support groups that help me through different things. Like even speaking to you about this is supportive to me because I feel like I'm able to uh, articulate the Palestinian struggle mm-hmm. to people who, yeah. who may not know anything about it. And for me, this is so important because it, it's reaching one of the end goals of what we're trying to do through activism, right? Um, so yeah, like your community, my family is community. Uh, <laughs> I even have a small Palestine book club that I started with one of my friends. And together we are community. Uh, my friends who like, when we uh, talk about the post, that we repost on Instagram, that's community. So all of these different uh, support systems that we have to carry on with the cause are so important. And for me also, there's people that I consider uh, community leaders. And these people are the people that I listen to and learn from because they are from the grounds or uh, they're on the ground or they're living the struggle or they have been advocating for the Palestinian cause for so long and they know so much about the situation. So really finding all these pieces of community are extremely important in person and um, through media or um, from distance. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And it just comes to remind us that we are all one human family, whether no matter what side of whatever religion beliefs or whatever that we share, like it's so important for us to remember that we are all humans on this planet and that we are all one community that are meant to be here to steward the earth and take care of each other and the planet and move forward in that. I have a question about the Quran because I know that it's a very important uh, book to your culture. And I have a friend that asked me that this would probably be a good question. (laughs) Perfect. What is your favorite passage from the Quran? Oh my God. <laughs> um, I think my favorite one is And this means that Allah does not burden a soul more than it can handle. And this is a very important reminder for us when we look at our own personal life struggles, when we look at other people's struggles, when we look at our capacity to do anything in life, whether it be activism, whether it be performance at work or school or whatever, any challenge that we are faced with, even when it's injustice, Allah gives us some kind of strength and power to just get through it and pass and get past that uh, challenge. I remind myself of this also a lot because sometimes I am a bit of a perfectionist and sometimes I'm like a bit of an overachiever. And when I start like, you know, hitting the, <laughs> the point of exhaustion, I remind myself, I say, Allah himself, does not burden me with more than I can handle. Why am I burdening myself with more than I can handle? And this brings me back to just acceptance of what is. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. I think that's a very important teaching. Can you speak about the importance of the lifelong learning, education, and knowledge over the ignorance and complacency that we can very much easily find ourselves within? Look, I can just give you, for example, the example of BLM, okay? Last year, huge mm-hmm. uprising for a struggle that Black people have been going through for 400 plus years. This is not new. But last year, there was a huge uprising about it. Everyone was talking about it. We were learning about it. We were learning about all the police brutality and atrocities and racism and everything that Black people were going through. And everyone was involved, but then it just like evaporated. And did the did the black struggle evaporate? Absolutely not. And so that's what happens. Like if we have a movement that's ongoing, why do we just stop? Why do we stop getting involved? Why do we not like like at that time I would just 
trying to find ways, okay, like how can I sustain a long-term support of the black community? What can I do? And some ways I found here, like in my own uh in my in my own community is to uh, support uh, black businesses and i started buying products from some black businesses that i remained loyal to until this point yes this is a very small way to support but this is one of the ways that the black community was saying that you can support us you know so Mm-hmm. Try just try to find maybe maybe you're not interested in learning maybe you don't care about understanding all the policies all the laws and regulations around police brutality or discrimination or health inequity or all these things maybe you're not interested in knowing all these things but just try to find one action that you can sustain on the long term whether it be learning or whether it be doing you know? mm-hmm. yeah thank you for that thank yeah. you for that so much I know that you've mentioned your personal self-care and how things can get very overwhelming and that life has its ongoing challenges and your passage with Allah and knowing that your burdens are never more than what you can handle. But I know that it's so important for you and all of us to take care of our mental health. And I'm curious as to like, what have you done for yourself in terms of taking care of your mental health through these ongoing challenging times? <laughs> um, spending time with my family and friends, that was a huge one. And I kind of um, create a boundary for myself where when I'm with my family or friends, I don't really talk or I talk as little as possible about the Palestinian cause. Because they don't need to yeah. become aware of it. They're already very, I live within a society that the majority, the majority are Muslim. Are, most of my surroundings are Palestinian. So they already know pretty much everything. And I'm already invested in a different avenue. So with them, I limit that interaction and I focus on our day-to-day life. I focus, like, for example, when I call my sister, I talk to her about my niece and I ask her what, like, my niece did that day or I cut my niece and that makes me extremely happy. I talk to my other sister about um, uh, she's preparing for her wedding. So I talk to her about, like, ask her about her wedding preparations, like, things like that. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm looking to go on a trip. So this is extreme health, uh, uh, self-care and be very healthy. <laughs> I sometimes do yoga, but honestly, I've been slacking a little bit, but it does help me when I do it. And uh, yeah, like I also really, yeah, I really like to hang out with my friends and like just do nothing, like just chill, eat, watch TV, doing these little things. Wonderful. Those are very important and very much tie into uh, the importance of community and all of that. I'm curious, and I know that this is going to be a big question, but what do you hope that the listeners take away from our conversation today? I hope that they understand that the Palestinian struggle is not complicated and they they understand that everyone has a responsibility to speak about it or at least like learn and then speak or do. You know, if not speak, do. Find mm-hmm. ways, I always say this, mm-hmm. find how you may be complicit in that struggle, how you may be benefiting from it, and listen to the people, listen to their voices, amplify their voices. We are complicit, mm-hmm. like all of us are complicit when we are mm-hmm. buying any kind of product that's supporting war crime, then we are contributing to it, right? In Canada, I... I all, I said that like yeah. on on one of my on my Instagram, but in Canada, most of us when we're living there, we are benefiting from the occupation and the colonization because we are living on indigenous land. Our home is part like it's it, mm-hmm. it's built on occupation. So how can we pretend that it's not our problem, right? It is our problem. It's everyone's problem. The and and very yeah. important also. Yeah. Before 
you start thinking about changing things in Palestine and changing colonization in Palestine, start at home. This is very important because the playbook of occupation is the same. The occupy the occupier settler yeah. uh, uh, guidelines or 101 book, I don't know what they yeah. use, but it's exactly the same one everywhere. So if you understand the one that's used in your homeland, it's basically copy-paste in Palestine. So you'll be more empowered to speak yeah. on the yeah. Palestinian struggle. Very much so. As you were speaking, there was a lot of different parallels that were coming into my mind, especially being a, a student of the Indigenous Social Work Program currently. There's there's just so many parallels that I feel like I'll have to bring on somebody else to talk about that for a whole other episode. And there's a lot of information out there as well for people to research as to like what's been going on here within Canada. And we also have... Um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission with the 94 calls to action, which only I believe 10 of them have been implemented so far in terms of moving forward and um, changing that narrative here in Canada and Turtle Island. There, There's definitely a lot of work for, for us all. And I, I think it's important and really good that you mentioned for us to work here on our land, but also amplify the voices of the Palestinians Um that are struggling out there because once again, we're all a human family and the only way that we can get through all of this is together and working as a community. So I want to thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your heart and your space with us. And in order to leave our conversation on a little more of a reflective and positive note, I'm curious, what does joy mean to you? Ah, Joy, a loving family and supportive friends. Mm, I really love that. And I, it's, it's sounds like it's been a very common thread throughout your lifetime um, that you come back to. And I know for myself, uh, it's also a very big thread to me too. And what brings me joy. And we, we have to hold on to those moments and because there's not, one emotion without the other there's joy and grief and they live together but we have to remember that there is light and that's why i wanted to add in that con that question there at the end and yeah. i hope that everyone listening today feels inspired by our conversation and feels a little bit more informed about the ongoing oppression happening in palestine and feels as though they have a little bit more tools to be able to move forward in making mindful decisions and actions in their life if you enjoy the yeah. podcast please click the follow button like and share review the podcast on the listening platforms of your choosing and if you really like our work and want to con continue supporting us further please become a patreon member and also support palestinian uh charities as well that are out there and indigenous charities because they're out there and they need your support too if you have any questions or comments, please contact us at binonourmindpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all again for listening to Been On Our Mind. Episodes will be released bi-monthly, so click that follow button in order to be kept up to date on episode releases. Thank you again so much, Sarah, for being here with us today. I really appreciated this conversation, and I feel a lot more informed uh, to be able to go forward and as difficult as it was, my heart still feels light. And I hope that yours does too. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen, and for giving me your platform and your space to speak on the Palestinian struggle. It's so important. We'll talk to you all soon. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 